Welcome to another edition of the Books and Culture Podcast. I'm Stan Guthrie, and starring, as always, is John Wilson, who's the editor of Books and Culture. And today, John will be discussing a really interesting new book called Slow Church. I think I first heard about this book, Stan, around 2011. John Pattison and I, I don't think we've met in person, but we were exchanging emails. He had written a piece for the Books and Culture website. I think it was around 2011 that he first told me about this project. And it was also very close to that time that his co-author, C. Christopher Smith, first swam into my consciousness. And we've actually done a couple of podcasts where we've talked about the Englewood Review of Books, Mm -hmm. which is this absolutely wonderful enterprise that's based in a church, Englewood Community Church, I think it's called. It's just outside of Indianapolis, and Chris is a member there. And Chris and I have met in person. In fact, we were on a panel together at the Festival of Faith and Writing at Calvin two years ago, and he is going to be directing a panel at this Festival of Faith and Writing in April on slow reading that I'm going to be on. And Chris has also written for Books and Culture. In fact, he reviewed for us a book on Gandhi and slow reading that was one of my favorite books Mm -hmm. of last year. So it's fun to see this book called Slow Church that itself has had a slow slow gestation, as many books do. And it's coming out in June from InterVarsity Press. And so this is one in our series of coming attractions. We will be reviewing the book, our conversation now, is not going to take the place of a review, but it's something that I want to give readers a heads up about. This is a book that's coming. I would love to see this book used in Sunday school classes, small groups. I think it lends itself readily to discussion. It even has questions, which I'm not really that crazy about, you know, books that have questions at the end of chapters. But even if you took those questions out, The writing and the subject itself, I think, can't help but stir lively discussion. What is the book about? Well, let me ask you, if if you you hadn't opened the book at all and you saw a book that was called Slow Church, what would come to your mind? Well, I think it would be something along the lines of taking time to get to know people, to do ministry carefully, to take time to contemplate God and your place in the world, and and not always have everything jam-packed with uh, activities and things of that nature. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the the subtitle is Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. Slow church is patterned on other slow movements, slow Hmm. food movement, for instance, and it well, shares... See, this is all new to me. I haven't heard this before. Okay, well, that's because you hang out in these right-wing circles and, you know... <laughs> I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> these important things are just off your radar, but they are. but they're various slow movements. And I have to tell you, I really like both of the authors of the book, and there's a lot about not only the slow church idea, but slow food and other slow movement that I find appealing. And yet, at the same time, my particular response, both to the book and the larger conversation in which it takes place, is one of a sympathetic dissident. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's so much that Chris and John find valuable that I find valuable, too. And there's a lot that they 
think is pernicious that I find pernicious too. And yet, as they and others spell out some of these ways of seeing the world, I often find myself wanting to push back as well. So that, for instance, in the really nice little introduction, there's some front matter that's not part of the book itself. It's just a little Q&A that InterVarsity has included here with the authors. And right on the very first page, the interviewer says, you note that there is an aversion to suffering in our Western culture. And, <laughs> and of course, as soon as I say that, my aggression just starts to build. And I think, what do you mean in Western culture? No, no one likes suffering, you know? There's a lot in the book that fits into a familiar critique of capitalism and of related developments in especially the Western world, but not at all, just the Western world over the last several centuries. And again, you're talking to someone who doesn't even drive. So <laughs> there's a lot about the critique of the negative effects of things that have happened in our world that completely resonates with me. And yet at the same time, I don't want this conversation, I don't want people to say, wait, I thought he said this book was so important, now he's being so negative. Well, no, no, no. I don't think the authors themselves would want or expect everyone out there to just uncritically absorb everything that they're saying. They want people to really engage it. I mean, that's mm -hmm. part of slow reading, you know, mm -hmm. is a kind of engagement. But I think there's a danger of a certain utopian strain, just as there's a danger of being excessively preoccupied with certain problems that are caused by fragmentation. They talk a lot about fragmentation in our society. So there's a passage late in the book on page 215 that is in a section called Dinner Table Conversation as a Way of Being Church. And what they say about conversation at dinner, I think, is so right. And I can't tell you how many times Wendy and I have had people coming to our house and they've said, we so much love being here and we aren't able to find many times like that where we're together around the table. And it's just so wonderful to do that. And to us, it's not something unusual. But for a lot of people, it's just not part of their routine. Their lives are structured in a way that makes it difficult to do that. I'm very sympathetic to that. When I read this, sitting around the table with the brothers and sisters of our own local church community, eating and drinking together in a common meal, we find a common identity as we encounter Christ in the Eucharist. And by the way, as you know, I pray almost every day for Eucharistic revival, so I love their emphasis mm. on the Eucharist. And yet, as we continue over the course of years, the practice of eating and drinking together, our Eucharistic identity will transform our personal imaginations, slowly and gradually weaving them together into a common imagination that reflects the unique and diverse gifts and talents God has provided in our community, and so on. Well, yes and no. I mean, I guess I don't really think that there is a practice, whether it's slow church or whatever else, that is going to radically change the experience of local congregations in the way this passage implies. I think the local congregation that Wendy and I have been part of for 20 years, Faith Evangelical Covenant in Wheaton, is wonderful and very imperfect. <laughs> yeah. I think that congregations that try conscientiously to absorb and practice some of the lessons that are so warmly advanced here, I think that they have many good qualities and they will also be imperfect. You might say, well, that's a council of despair and apathy. 
you're saying it really doesn't make that much difference. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But you could have a book, instead of calling slow church, you could have a book called absurd church. Absurd church is the church as it is now, mm-hmm. always has been, and always will be, because even in the kingdom that we inhabit as members of God's family, we're still to some degree caught up in the absurdity of life in this world. And things that we try to do often have consequences that we didn't (laughs) intend. And programs, reformations that seem so valuable, they themselves often harden into some kind of mirror of the very thing that they were supposed to reform. And on and on. I'm not in the slightest throwing cold water on their whole project. I'm saying, yes, let's read this book. Let's talk about it. Let's practice some of these things. Some people will be more moved to do that than others. And at the same time, let's recognize that there's always going to be absurdity. There's always going to be a disconnect between intentions and outcomes. And we should be modest in what we claim and what we expect. Let's wrap this up by saying, walk, don't run to your nearest Christian bookstore and pick up a copy of Slow Church. Pick up a copy in June, your local bookstore, yes. Some weak souls will no doubt order the book from Amazon, as I am often want to do. But at the same time, believe me, I'm still a supporter of local bookstores as well. And so wherever you get it, yes, by all means, and encourage people at your church, maybe have a Sunday school class. The book is really, really just made for prolonged discussion in a church setting. I think like you said, different people will come to it and get different things out of it, things that they can apply in their own situation. They may not buy the whole program, but they may pick up an insight here or there that will really help. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. It's not an all-or-nothing deal at all. And I would particularly say that to some of my friends who would be put off by the critique of certain tendencies in modern society to just dismiss the book altogether and say, oh, that's just another one of those. No, that's not the right response. It's very much worth engaging.